0: And I just want to follow up on this moment when God presses the pause button and speaks to us. Uh, We need to respond and just open our hearts. And in this moment, as God spoke and we asked for the Holy Spirit, God gives and, and He imparts and He fills. And sometimes we ask for the Holy Spirit because we want to speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit does that sometimes we ask for the holy spirit because we want to be able to sing and worship god and the holy spirit does that sometimes we ask for the holy spirit because we want to pray for people and see them healed and the holy spirit does that but i felt a a nudge in my spirit as as i stood there to remind you that the first and foremost job of the holy spirit is to convict of sin so a sign of the infilling of the spirit is an outbreaking of repentance before anything else. Because the Holy Spirit makes us aware of sin in our lives. It's impossible to be filled with the Spirit and not feel <laughs> funny when, when I'm tempted to sin. You see, the the interesting thing is the the enemy what he does is when he wants to, to separate us from, from, from the herd. He doesn't give us a hatred for God. He gives us a forgetfulness for God's goodness, concerning God's goodness. So that when, when we don't pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is nudging us to do, when we are about to sin, the last thing you want to think about is the day that you got saved. If it pops up, you actually put it out of the head because it's, it's uncomfortable thinking about the day that you got saved and Jesus changed your life and still sin at the same time. And yet, the enemy gets it right. Why? Because, because we don't pay attention. We want the big, the big manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, first of all, convicts of sin. And it will be good if we can develop a discipline of listening, paying attention to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I promise you, as you sit here, there will be far less heartbreak, there will be far less pain, if you don't ignore the Holy Spirit and continue in sin. So tonight, as you have, I mean, I... I um, Indulge myself in the opportunity of just peeking when you asked for filling of the Holy Spirit. And people were there, they wanted, they want the Holy Spirit. But you must want what the Holy Spirit brings as well. And that is an allergy, an allergic reaction to sin. So having said that, uh, we're going we're gonna to read a portion of Scripture and just allow the Holy Spirit to, um, to unfold it, to reveal it to us. And I'm going to speak to you about the conduct of a Christian. I do find, um, as I said, I'm not sure we have said it everywhere, but this year, June the 14th, I was saved, born again for 50 years. 50 years and it's only by God's grace when I got saved I came heavily off the bottle I was drinking almost every day but it was a milk bottle I got saved at the age of 7 and it's just by God's grace but you know what you know what all of us as you're going to walk this journey, you might have been saved a year. But as much as you have to fight the urge to sin, so I have to fight the urge to sin. And I've seen through this 50 years of serving God that this time of year is the most difficult time for a believer, especially for a young believer. Because this time of year, going into December, going into the the holiday time, the holiday season, is where young people get tested most will you be cool or will you stand for jesus will you conduct yourself well will you be a great ambassador when the friends are not with you and and it's i mean this is all i said to conrad what a wonderful bunch of young people and that included him <laughs> 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 but you know what some of you are going home Some of you are going on holiday, and my question, the challenge to you today is after you've asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit, will you conduct yourself as somebody that has been filled with the Holy Spirit? And I know it's a challenge, but you have to make a decision about it, because if you don't decide, the enemy will take any opportunity of blindsiding you. So here's a couple of things, Um, just, I mean... Obviously, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, honesty is important. So just as a sign of honesty, I mean, now's the test. Are you going to be honest tonight? Who has used the F word before? Hmm. Good question. Which one? Good question. So I'm about to use the F word four times tonight, if that's okay with the leadership. I'm going to speak about fleeing, following, fighting and being furnished. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> She's got palpitations here. Okay, so we're going to read in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Um, yeah, I see Conrad That's sort of got a light sweat. It looked like an eight-strong curries He's just got a light sweat on his brow. <laughs> uh, um we're going to read in 1 Timothy 6, verse verse uh, 11. And I, I would, I'm going to read and then just pause for a moment. It says here, but as for you, O man of God. And in that place, I want, to put your, I want you to put your name as I read it. Uh, uh, as for you, Walton. As for you, Conrad as for you, whatever your name is, put your name in there, because this is going to get personal tonight. But as for you, was that a chair that moved or? (laughs) Okay, just checking. (laughs) I thought this is a very free church. (laughs) As for you, Peter, Trevor, Sandy, Michelle, whatever your name is, as for you, Flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So you've seen there flee already. Pursue uh, is another word for follow. In some translations you have follow. So that's the second F. And fight the good fight of faith. And then take hold of eternal life. Now taking hold, uh, I've taken the liberty of looking at that and saying that is it's it's taking a hold of what God wants to teach you, taking a hold of the teachings that's there, equipping yourself, and therefore we can use the word being furnished. I had to work my way, I would to work hard to get the fourth F in there, but I wanted to use four Fs tonight. So so there it is. It's all there flee, follow, fight, and being furnished. It says here, take a hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you ma- made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you. Now, now that I charge you is, is not the one that they do at Pick and Pay. I charge you. That one is I strongly recommend. I strongly suggest. So you wouldn't remember that now, but, but when you were little, and you broke something, a glass for the third or the fourth time, that's when your mother would say, leave the glasses alone. She's charging you to listen to her this time. She's strongly recommending that if you do not listen, supernaturally your behind will start burning. (laughs) When when we were still allowed to do that, of course. eh? (laughs) That's That's the severity with which the writer speaks here, I, I charge you. So it's, it's important that we listen here, that we pay attention. It says, I charge you in the presence of God. Now, now, I mean, there can't be a greater witness than this. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. I mean, it's, 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 it's the top witnesses. And we have just asked for the Holy Spirit. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he charges you in the presence of God. To pay attention to what he's saying to you. Who is testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Now this is what he's charging you with. To keep the commandment unstained. Your conduct. Keep your conduct in this festive season. Keep it unstained. Free from reproach. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not just a charging to be good. So that Santa can bring you something. Because apparently people sing that he comes to see if who's been naughty or nice. And if you've been nice, he brings you something. I mean, it's a heap of rubbish, but some people act nicely over Christmas time. Uh, Paul says, no, it's, it's not about Christmas. It's until Jesus comes. So it's not acting good for the festive season. It is our job, it's our responsibility to act well, to, that our conduct be one of that of a believer until Jesus comes. That becomes a bit heavy. Which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed, I mean this is one of the most, I tell you if you want to read a scripture, a portion of scripture, that's beautiful. If you want to read something that's uplifting, go can read this part over And over, and it's the most beautiful portion of scripture. It says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. That's the God that we serve. And it's for him, it's, it's for his sake that we are charged to pay attention to our conduct even when other people don't see us. It's, it's easy to go through all the actions and to do the same things and lift our hands and close our eyes and jump. There was a young man, I suppose he, he's at a kid's facility, but he was jumping this high. I'm like, how does he get there? And, but it's easy when we, amongst our friends, to actually have our conduct um, display the values of what a believer should act like. But my concern is, when we leave here, when we go home, when we go and. Spend holiday time somewhere else when we're going to be amongst friends when we're going to get to end of your uh, invited to end of your parties when we're going to get invited to some special event with just a certain amount of people is there because you special because you invited how will your conduct be there so it says to survive this is the four F's so that you can survive the season ahead until Jesus comes number one Flee! It says, you, and whatever your name, your name is, flee from these things. And if you think of it, fleeing is not a, I mean, I, I, I've never been to the, to the army. I'm not sure if I should be grateful for that or not. Because I don't have army stories, nothing like that. But, but they used to march. I, I watched a couple of uh, um, events where they marched. But they went nowhere. They stood in one place marching. I'm like, what's the sense in marching if you're not going anywhere? Now, now there's a name for what's that called? When they're marching on one spot, they're not going anywhere? Makiri Pass. Pass. I think they're Makiris anus. But you're marching, you're walking, and you're breaking into a sweat, but you're going nowhere. That's not fleeing. Fleeing is when you make a deliberate effort to get distance between you and what you're fleeing from. And I'm not going to go into all of that because of the time, but if you read the preceding five verses to that statement, you will find exactly what it is you should be fleeing from. Stuff like uh, um, a gospel that's not the gospel that Paul preaches. Flee from somebody's clever idea of what he thinks the Bible is actual about. Some philosophical idea. And unfortunately, us as young people, when we're at university and, and all, all the places of learning, we actually get bombarded with other kind of thinking. The Bible says, flee from that. Flee from the love of money. Flee from this... Put of hell, where the world wants to tell you, you must be successful with money before you regard it as successful. Flee from these things. Flee from what society says is success, because there's a lot of rich people that are going to hell. I actually said it this morning. When we say to somebody in anger, go to hell, we just have to go and apologize afterwards. But, but it's not that big a deal. It's, it's, it's a curse. But, it, but I mean, it's, it's, it's said and we can, can apologize. But when somebody dies without Jesus, even if he has money, and he stands before God in judgment, and God says to him, go to hell, it's got a total different meaning. It's for eternity. And there's no apology coming. He's going to hell. And so I'm asking you not to live according to the standards of the world, but to, learn, to conduct your life to the standards of the Word of God. Flee from these things. So I'm going to mention one example that's found in Genesis chapter 39, and that's Joseph. I'm not going to turn there, um, but Gen- Gen- it will be good if you read it at some stage. Not now while I'm preaching, but at home sometime. Genesis 39 Joseph is in the in in the palace of Potiphar. He is employed at the highest level. He is entrusted with everything, and the Bible says, now "I don't quite know, but I'm trying to interpret that part." Uh, the Bible says, "And Potiphar's wife laid longing eyes on him." Now, now you can try and figure out what that means. And then she said to him, and I mean, I just you know I'm a guy that preaches stuff, and she said to him. Lie with me. And if I was Joseph, I would have said, what should we lie about? (laughs) The problem is, Joseph actually honored. He said, if I sin with you, I don't sin just against you. I sin against Potiphar, but I sin against God. So please, please, when you get tempted... In this season ahead, know that you're not just saying no to sinning with a person, you're you're saying no to sinning against God. But here's, here's the thing is that although Joseph was noble in his approach, he said no. But he Joseph did not go to prison because he sinned. He went, he was put in a dungeon. Not because he sinned, but because he got too close to sin. You see, when he ran away, and he actually fled. But he fled a second too late. And, and this woman grabbed his cloak. And when he left, although he did nothing wrong, she had evidence in her hand that he was too close to sin. And because of the evidence in her hand, he was put in prison. So can I ask you? What does the enemy have in his hand that, that is a is testimony that you got too close to sin? The Bible is very clear. It's not just guarding against sin, but a guard, guarding against anything that looks like sin. And it tells us, flee from those things. And I'm asking you, the moment somebody says, don't worry, I've got it under control, I mean, haven't you had a drunk friend? I'm not going to say it's you, but let's imagine you had a drunk friend once, right? That you wanted to go home and he wants the keys? I'm in charge. I can do it. Uh. And he gets in the left-hand side of the car, and it's a right-hand drive, and he wants to start the car, and he's, like, putting the key into the dashboard. And he but he's got it. He's got it under control. Don't be like that, please. Don't be like that. Thinking that you're in control. And for everybody else around you, they can see that you haven't got this thing under control. I'm I'm really asking you to consider not going into situations where you might get too close to sin. Don't think you've got it under control. Because the enemy has been busy for thousands of years working out schemes to trap you. So number one is flee from these things. Then he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now, pursuing is not just looking at it at a glance. It's going after something with all your heart. Desiring it with everything you have. So he says, flee from sin, but pursue righteousness. And in one line you can say, pursue God. Because God is locked up in everything that is explained there. Pursue God. And on earth, we, we, as we live our lives out here, it's important that we learn to pursue what God has for us. Um, if we look in 2 Kings, I'm not going to, that's a whole message on its own. I preached on that this morning in Hrabou. Um But if you look at somebody who pursued well, It was Elisha. 2 Kings 2, verse 1. Elisha learned what it was to pursue well. Because Elijah came and said to him, Elisha, so it's the older man who's about to leave, speaking to the younger uh, uh, guy who is about to step into his shoes. And he says says to him, I have got to go to Bethel. So you stay here, please. And Elisha said, no. As long as you live, I will go with you. I will pursue what you're doing because you're doing the work of God. And there's a thing about it, there's something valuable about us as young, I mean us, okay, you as young people, um, pursuing people that are pursuing God. The first thing that I, that, that was important is that Elijah, Elijah said to, to Elisha. God told me I need to go to Bethel. So find yourself an Elijah, a leader that years from God. And then you, you pursue. You pursue that leader, not because they are God, but as they follow. Follow me as I follow God. That's what Paul says. So, so you need to find yourself mentor, a mentor in life that years from God, and then you pursue. That person, you pursue what they do in Christ, because that mantle will fall on you. You'll see miracles happen when you're in the close proximity of the one that's hearing from God. So prepare yourself for some miracles. Good. So Elijah Elijah says to Elisha, I'm going to Bethel, and Bethel speaks of the place, Bethel is the place where Joseph, uh, where Jacob built the altar when he wrestled with God. And he built the altar, and he got a personal revelation of who God is, and out of that, out of that heart, and now we don't think of worship just as singing, out of that, he worshipped God. He lived a life for God, because he had he had wrestled with God. And so he built the altar. So you need to you need to uh, um, f- have people around you that can take you to a place of worship. The moment you're, you're, the, you're at a place where the people that's around you wants to take you to the liquor store, you know that you're in the wrong space. If the people around you wants to take you to a place where you know you're going to be tested, where you're not going to worship, get out of the car and find another way home. Ask Conrad to come and fetch you, or Walton. And then they will phone me and and myself and Isaiah will come. (laughs) But you need people who lead you to a place of worship. If your friendship with somebody else doesn't lead you to worship, doesn't lead you to looking at God, then they will distract you from God. The other thing that Elijah said to Elisha was, I'm going to Jericho, but you please stay here. And and Elisha said, but I'm going with you. I'll pursue. I'm going to pursue what God has for me. And Jericho's, I call it the place of the scarlet line. Because that's where Rahab, when she found her salvation, she hung the red rope out the window as a sign that they will be saved. And a red rope is is scarlet. We have a New Testament version of that. It's the cross of Jesus. Because where he bled, there was this red line flowing, dripping on the ground. It's a place of salvation. We need leaders. We need friends that will lead us to the cross. We need friends that we can have discussions about the cross with. And my question to you is, in your friendship... Can you freely speak about the place of the scarlet line? The place where Jesus died for our sins. Now, yes, we shouldn't separate ourselves from the world that we don't testify to them. We need to lead them to the Lord. But I'm talking about your spiritual well-being. You should not be dependent for your spiritual well-being on somebody who prevents you from going to the place of the scarlet line. So next thing he says to him, we need to go to the Jordan. But you have to stay here. He says, now I'm going with." And Jordan speaks of the place of crossing over into the promised land. When, they got, when Israel got to the Jordan, that's where they had to cross over into what God had for them. And you need leaders. You need people around you that can lead you to the place where you're going to cross over into everything that God has for you. You don't need people that will be, be like, like Reuben and Gad, that they said, no, no, we're not crossing the Jordan. We're settling on the east side of Jordan, which is outside of Canaan. Because we saw with our eyes that the land looks good. You don't want to follow people who make choices based on flesh, on what they see. You need people that make choices based on what God told them to do. And as an act of obedience, they will walk through the Jordan. These are the people that you need to surround yourself with. Because when you stand close to them, as they hit the ground, and you see the water part, you realize that you don't have to cross your obstacle, your difficult moment alone. You've got somebody walking next to you. And not only do you have to walk to a with a person that that will cross the Jordan with you, I would like to challenge you to be a person that will cross the Jordan with somebody else. Because when you get to the other side, Elijah said to Elijah, ask me whatever you want. And Elijah said, that Holly Davidson that I always wanted. (laughs) No. He asked for a double portion. You see, there are many people that can give us lots of stuff. But there are very few people that when we ask them that we want a double portion of the anointing that can actually ask God to give it to you. People can give you cars, People can give you money. People can give you promotion. There's lots of stuff people can give you. But surround yourself with people from whom you can get anointing. You can get spiritual spiritual blessing. So that's, that's how you follow hard. The next thing that Paul says here is, you've got to fight the fight. Now, now, here's the thing. And this is why, I mean, God sent me here with a warning. And if you don't feel warned, I don't, then I'm a bad communicator. I hope that you feel warned. Because he says, Paul doesn't write and say, pretend the good pretend. He says, fight the fight. Because sometimes we pretend the good pretend. And we don't want to engage into a fight because we think we saved. No, no, no. When, when Israel crossed the Jordan into Canaan land, their biggest wars started. They had to fight for Jericho, even if it was fighting by walking seven times. Or once for seven days around, and on the seventh day they had to walk seven times and it fell. But they had to fight for the inheritance. When they wanted to take the other cities, they had to fight for the inheritance. You see, we're not called to settle. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't sit back and watch others fight. We actually get involved. We get into the trenches, and we fight the good fight. So for us to survive, for even in COVID times, I hear there's a, a lockdown coming. They say 7 o'clock on the 14th of December, um, the other virus will hit us. <laughs> it might be five past, I'm not sure. But the point is, it doesn't matter how unfair lockdown might be, we have to get through it. It doesn't matter if we agree with lockdown or if we don't agree with lockdown. It doesn't matter what your theory is around the COVID virus. Nothing of that matters. We, as God's children, need to get through it. And we need to make sure that other people get through it. And because of that, God is warning us and say, fight the fight. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Because other people's lives are depending on it. Often we just, we just fight for us. I, I, I've, I've shared it some places before. I can't remember what I share where. So I'm just going to say it again. Uh, I stood before God once and we, we, we love I mean, marriage is my, my passion. So I said to God, I thought I was very, very brave, and I thought maybe I'll get a gold star, and he'll say, well done, my son. I said to God, God, I will fight for our marriage. I will go to the extreme for marriage. And God says, oh, okay, that's okay, but I want you to fight for every marriage because other people's lives depend on us. And that's how we should live. Often we think if we fight the fight so that we can survive, it's good enough. Now that's just the entry-level fight. We are fighting the fight because other people's lives depend on it. So we, we've got to flee, we've got to follow, we've got to fight, and we have to be furnished. So just so you know where to find it, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17. I'm just going to read it so you, so you have it. Um, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God... can Remember, we started with the man of God, and that's your name, Trevor, Andrew, Conrad, Walton, whatever your name is, so that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. And that's where I got this word furnished from. Is that the man of God might be completely furnished. And the example I'd like to use there, we are on the verge of moving. Myself and Azalea, we, um, Hrab- uh, um, we spent nine years in in Wooster. We spent nine years in Wooster. We planted or replanted a church there. And then a year ago, in October, we became part of Josh Chen, and it's been an amazing year where we go around teaching in different contexts, and that's been amazing, but now God has asked us to move. And we are moving next week sometime into an unfurnished house. And I thought to myself, have you ever noticed when you walk into an empty room, when you, in an empty house, when, let's say you want to move into a place, you want residence or whatever, or you want to rent a house, and you walk in... You know it echoes inside. How it just doesn't feel like home, because there's a difference between house and home. Now, now here's the thing: this is why God wants us to be furnished, because if you're not furnished out of the Word of God, it's going to echo when you speak, because it's empty that's coming out. If your head is not, if your head and your heart is not filled with the Word of God, when you speak, you can say all, you can speak Christianese. Because we are good at speaking Christianese. We're saying all the right things. I'm the head and not the tail. And you know what? All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And We've got all the scriptures. And, and, and God will restore the years that the locust has eaten. So we've got all the scriptures. We speak Christianese. But for those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they listen to you and they hear that you're not furnished. You're empty. It's empty inside. And you can fool some people. You might fool some people to believe that you're a Christian, that you're born again. But when somebody who's really filled with the Holy Spirit stands in front of you, they can hear that you're out of your depth, that you have not been furnished. And therefore, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Become furnished out of the Word of God. Take, Take what God gives you. Take what God reveals to you. And fill yourself complete with that. So that when you speak, the weightiness of God furnishing you will come across. And even when you speak and you're not even testifying, when you speak and you're not even, you're not even trying to get somebody saved, I promise you, when you speak and you're filled and you're furnished, you might find that people even get saved just as you start speaking to them. Sometimes we wonder, why do we minister to somebody um, and they take so long to get born again and we think it's their problem, but have you ever thought that you might be the problem? That you're speaking out of a place of emptiness. And they're trying to hear what you're saying, but all they hear is the echo of of the void inside of you. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you. This is what God has laid in my heart. In the season ahead, please flee from sin, and anything that looks like sin. Follow after what God has for you. Pursue your calling. Fight the good fight. And spend time with the Word of God so that you can be a man of God that is finished. Now this is just one last thing. What you need to do is and this is what I've done over years. I sit with the Word of God. Apart from my quiet time or the time that I want God to speak to me, I sit with the Word of God, and I pour over the Word. I read it, not to find what I want to find. Often we go to the Word um, to try and find something to support my theory. Now, then you'll find something um, I'm thinking of when I was young uh, we, we, the, the ladies in our, in our church were not allowed to cut their hair. Now like, I mean, you might think, ah, but you, your people don't need to cut your hair. It doesn't grow very long. Um, but, but there was still, a, it was still a rule that you're not allowed to cut your hair. <laughs> some will get it tomorrow, but then you explain it to them, okay? And, and, and some of the ladies with, with the longer hair to get a, just something different, they would tie their hair in a top knot. They would call that, but you have a, a top knot. And some brother had a problem with that. So, so, so he went to that scripture that says that those are on the rooftops, right? Uh, uh, that they don't stay there but come down. And he, he changed it to say that, that top knot come down. And, and, and we thought, this is from God, so the ladies didn't wear top knots anymore. Top, top knot come down. You know, if you go to Scripture like that, you, you will abuse Scripture. But go to Scripture, and let you, as you pour over Scripture, allow the Scripture to pour over you. Then you will get what God's saying to you in that moment. So if you want to know what's going to get you through this time, the Word of God. The Word of God. And, and I, I pray that as you have asked, before I started preaching, you asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was a moment where we just all just stretched out our hands and we asked God to fill us. As a sign of an infilling of the Holy Spirit and a sign that we are serious about God, allow the Holy Spirit... To, make a, to bring an awareness of sin in our lives. And as we become aware of sin, let's be hastily to repent of sin in our lives. Amen. Amen. hand to him?